As we listen for the Lord's voice and the word today, we, we are leaning towards the end of our series on learning lessons in parenting from a loving Heavenly Father, and this will be the second to last message. And to kick this message off, I want to share a story from the book Boundaries. I don't know if you've read the book Boundaries, but it is a classic help in the area of family life. And here is told a story about a young family. The mom's name was Shannon. The husband's name was Gerald. And they had two children. One was a three-year-old boy. Let me check his name real quick in my notes. Uh, Robbie and Tanya. Tanya was a little baby. One morning, uh, everything went wrong. Before Gerald left for work, they got in a, in a fight with his wife, Shannon, and he kind of left without saying goodbye. So that started the day off wrong. Well, then little Tanya in her high chair flipped over the cereal and dumped it all on the floor. And then Robbie, Robbie most of all decided as the three-year-old, today was the day to do everything mom and dad had ever said never to do. So he pulled out mommy's uh, lipstick and wrote on the walls with her pretty lipstick in a beautiful color. Uh, then he decided to open up the door and run out into the yard, and from the yard he headed toward the street. Mommy had to go get him. But the last straw, the last straw for little Robbie, is uh, he saw an opportunity to push down his baby sister. And as he pushed her down, he had kind of this look on his face of gloating, like, look what I can do to my little baby sister. And Shannon, she had had it. She picked him up, she was yelling at him, she was shaking him, shaking him so hard that just a minute later, it freaked her out, because she knew that she could have hurt Robbie in that moment. Her anger had gotten so out of control, and so she signed up quickly to go see Dr. Henry Cloud, who ended up writing this book, and her husband shares this story they share this story together with uh, Dr. Cloud, and this is how it continued. So Dr. Cloud asks him a question, how do you discipline Robbie? How do you help him figure things out? And so Gerald began, well, we don't want to alienate Robbie, you know, or quench his spirit. Being negative is so, so negative. So we try to reason with him, and, you know, sometimes we'll warn him, you won't get any ice cream tonight, and Sometimes we try to praise the good thing he does, and sometimes we just try to ignore the bad behavior. Then maybe he'll stop it. Well, does he push the limits? And both parents nodded. You wouldn't believe it, Shannon said. It's like he doesn't hear us. He keeps on doing what he jolly well pleases, and generally he'll keep it up until one of us explodes and yells at him. I guess we just have a problem child. Well, there's certainly a problem, I replied. But perhaps Robbie has been trained to not respond to anything but out-of-control rage. So let's talk about boundaries in children. And so that introduces the chapter, and that's kind of going to be our topic today, is the discipline of a good father. And so if you have your Bibles or you got them on your cell phones and you want to join me, turn to Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to look at classic verses 11 and 12 that touch base on what we're going to look together at today. This is what Solomon in all his wisdom shared with his son. He says this, My son, 
Do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me and for me? Lord Jesus, help me lift you up today. And Heavenly Father, help us to see how you've sought to help us grow as human beings through discipline and even suffering. And how, Lord, these moments in our lives can be opportunities for us and for our children to learn lessons we just can't seem to learn any other way. So I pray, speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we talk about uh, the discipline of the Lord, it's, it's a very important topic uh, because I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I'll continue to bring it up today. I think in our modern world, um, a lot of us, we struggle with the Old Testament and the stories there. How many struggle with the stories and hearing that God seems to kill people here and allow people to get in trouble here and just all this stuff, we almost want to say, is God really a good God? Or is he not a good God? What is he up to? Is the God of the Old Testament different from Jesus? There were some people in the early church that wanted to make that statement, and the apostles had to say, no, no, it's the same God. But what I want you to understand today as we look at these stories together is that when it comes to those who participated with the help of the Holy Spirit in the writing of Scripture, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, all of them pretty much take a unanimous take that God is a good, loving God. Even Solomon, in these verses, reminds his son, yes, God is good and he loves, but his love also at times has to take on a role of discipline. And that role of discipline is an important part of life because there are lessons that we learn through the Lord's discipline that we do not get any other way. And so that's the the kind of wisdom that Solomon gives us today. And he encourages, he says to his son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke. And in this, I, I can see myself reading some of the Old Testament stories and and the, the justice or judgment that comes upon the people of God and thinking, oh God, why'd you have to do that? Or why'd you have to do this? And even now, it's easy to kind of read the Bible with a spirit despising the Lord or resenting how he worked in Scripture. But I want to encourage you today, again, remember, the creator of the universe had an incredibly difficult job at the Old Testament point in history. That job was to turn a polytheistic culture of many gods into his own people who knew that there was one creator God and there was no other. That was an incredibly uphill battle. And so discipline was essential in that process. There was no way around it in order for God to get us to a place today where we take for granted that there's not thousands of gods out there, but there's one creator of the universe, a God of love and goodness. And so Paul helps us wrestle with these things a little more in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
Now, if there was an early church that we hear about in the scriptures that needed help, the Corinthian church was that church. The Corinthian church, they were just kind of wild. They were a wild bunch. They were into all sorts of trouble. They were having issues with sexual stuff. They were having issues with who's better, which is the better leader, who's the better person to follow. It's like everything was falling apart, and they, they were just kind of out there. And so Paul, in this instance, tries to give them a paradigm to be able to understand where they need to grow as a community of faith, where they need to see the Lord's discipline to help them be the best they can be. And so to do that, he goes where? To the Old Testament. He goes to that season in Israel's life where they were out in the wilderness, where the Lord had brought them out of Egypt and they'd passed through the sea on dry ground and the 40 years in the desert and all the good, bad, and ugly that happened there. And as he shares this story, I want you to see how he frames it for our lives today. He says this, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, they were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they all drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ the Messiah. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. So we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ the Messiah as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples, were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall, because no temptation or trial has overtaken you except what is common to all humanity. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And so here, Paul shares the one of the classic examples of the Lord's discipline in the early life of Israel. And what I want you to notice, first of all, is the positive part of what Paul says. What he basically says to the church is, like you guys, in Israel, the ancient people of Israel had all the grace they needed to be successful. They had everything they needed to survive life in the desert and in the wilderness. They had the cloud, the cloud of the Lord's presence, uh, leading them and guiding them and being a, a present with them. All the people had that presence there, and they could know that God was with them in this journey through the wilderness. They had no excuse. And they all had been through uh, the, the 
the waters. They had all walked across the waters on dry ground. They had all seen his power at work, bringing them salvation, bringing them deliverance, bringing them freedom from slavery. They had seen the mighty work of God and what he had done. They had all experienced this grace and love and mercy that had given them freedom from bondage. And he says, like us, they were baptized. They were baptized in the cloud and in the sea. And like us, they had communion. They had spiritual drink and spiritual food. They had water from the rock of Jesus Christ. They had food from the manna that God provided. Like us, they had the sacraments to to give us nourishment in our spiritual life. They had everything at their disposal, and yet, and yet, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So Paul here teaches us some lessons about the disciplined nature of our Heavenly Father who loves us. And here's what we see. Uh, One of the things that takes part in discipline, whether it's parents or with the Lord, is there is a positive peace and there is a negative component or peace. The positive component of discipline is the instruction piece. It's the piece that that we try to set before our kids or before the people of Israel uh, and say, here's the guidance, here's the standard, here's the way, walk in it. And so it's proactive. It tries to help uh, keep our kids safe. The negative piece is what happens when we don't do the instruction part, right? The consequences, the chastisement, the, the, uh, the correction, so that when we're corrected, we can learn, oh, I need to do the right thing. And we see that in this story, right? The positive piece, the positive component that, uh, that he tells us about is, listen, the children of Israel, they had everything they needed. They had God's presence. They'd seen God's power. They knew God was with them. God was guiding their lives. Uh, and not only that, but on top of the mountain, they'd received the Ten Commandments. They'd received not just Ten Commandments, but actually about 600 lessons on how to choose the right path in life and how to do the good thing. They had all the instruction they needed right out of the gate in terms of how to live a blessed life. But in the midst of all that, when they chose not to do the right thing, when they chose to go their own independent way, when they chose to still worship other gods and other idols, when they chose to uh, rebel and revel and party like it's 1999, I guess that's how the song goes, right? And they were partying like it's 1999 B.C. Actually, it wouldn't be. It would be like 1299 B.C., I guess, something like that. (laughs) But as they were doing all these things, uh, the Lord comes in and, like a loving father, has to correct them. And especially early on in our children's lives or in our lives, correction early on is the some of the most critical time because if you can be consistent right early on when they're two and three and four oftentimes we find that makes being 12 13 and 14 a good bit easier right and so that consistency we see the lord out of the gate saying 
okay, I've given you everything you need, but if you're still going to rebel and go your own way, if you're still going to critique me and say that I'm not looking out for you, though I brought you out of the land of Egypt, well, then there are going to be consequences. There's going to be corrections. And these lessons aren't just going to be lessons for you guys. They're going to be lessons for the people of God for thousands of years in the future so that we can reflect on where we are in our faith and in our life and in our choices and make sure we're headed the way the Lord wants us to head and do what the Lord wants us to do. And so in looking at this, the second thing I want us to to really think about in this, y'all, is that, um, that in this, what is God after? And as parents, what are we after? Well, I don't, as parents, we want to raise children that can be independent, that can be healthy, that can make good decisions, that can say yes when they need to say yes and can say no when they need to say no, that, that kind of keep to the rules to stay on you know, good path and good choices. That's our goal. And so for the Lord as our Heavenly Father, He's got a similar goal for each and every one of us, right? And the goal for the Father is, well, and I'm going to be teaching from one of my favorite theologians, George MacDonald. George MacDonald, I'll mention every once in a while because he is one of my favorite theologians. He wrote a lot of uh, good books in the 1800s. He's a Scottish author. And one of the things he shares that's, that continues to shape my life, he says this about our journey of faith. He says, listen, the Lord disciplines us not because he wants to punish sin. God's not after punishing our sin. Instead, God is after destroying our sin. A holy God allowed us to choose right or wrong, good or bad. And with that choice, we chose the bad. But now that sin has entered the world, he is going to use that sin as a lesson to teach us about the good. And as that lesson comes into our lives, it often comes through suffering, it often comes through pain, it often comes through boneheaded choices, right? But as that process works through our lives, we encounter sin in its fullness. That is, we see our hard-heartedness. We see our pride. We see our selfishness. And every once in a while in life, right, it just screams at us in the face, how could you be so dumb to do that and do it again? And when we listen for that, it's not to bring us shame, but it's to get us to a place where we hate the sin as much as God does. And when we get to the place where we hate the sin as much as God does, it brings us to the place where the redemption and atonement of Jesus Christ can then begin to work in our hearts and lives to begin destroying the sin in us and help us choose the good instead. Because ultimately what the Lord is after is he is after his children to be good children. Good in the best sense of that word. And so God uses this life, uh, I think it was uh, Saddleback Church, um, Rick Warren, said life is a test and a trust. Y'all that have read his book, you probably remember that. It's a test and a trust. It's a test to help grow character in us, a character that will learn to say no to sin and hate the sin as much as God does and a trust to trust that God will get us through the ups and downs of the discipline of the challenges and the suffering we face along this 
uh, challenging journey. And so uh, that's kind of our lessons for our children, too. We want them to grow up to be healthy adults. And as parents, how do we give them consistent boundaries to help them get there? Um, and so with this, uh, kind of the last, last piece I'll share about this in terms of our kids is part of that journey with, with kids. Well, let me do two things. First, I'll give you an example of the positive and negative with kids, all right? One positive act of discipline with your children may be like, for instance, my son Chandler. You know, his bedtime is 10 o'clock. He knows his bedtime is 10 o'clock. And so his job is to go to bed at 10 o'clock, or at least 10, 15. <laughs> Maybe 10, 20, right? But let's say for several nights, he starts going to bed at 11.30 or 12. You know, then as a parent, uh, the, the positive part was saying, Chandler, your bedtime is 10 o'clock. That's the rule. Stick to the rule. The negative thing is, is when he goes, you know, stays up till midnight uh, playing FIFA or, you know, watching TV or something else, then the consequences the next day would be you can't have use of your phone today, right? Uh, you can't have use of your iPad today because you broke the rule. So there are consequences. So that's the positive, that's the negative. And then in the midst of, of sort of that uh, that thing. The other thing we want to work with our kids in this area is, is allowing them as well to say yes and no. Now I see this in my own parenting. When Lindsay, our oldest, came along, we tried to, I tried to avoid the, the word no at all costs because I was afraid she would learn no and say, tell mommy and daddy, no, no, no. <laughs> so, so we would still discipline her, but we tried to use it not use the word no a whole lot. Now, when the other three came along, we told them no all the time. <laughs> so it didn't last very long, and Lindsay's turned out really, really well. So, you know, but, but the idea is, with our children, one of the things we want them to do is be responsible for themselves, and that means setting their own boundaries. And uh, so an example of this with like a little child, maybe, maybe mom, you want to hold that child and not let him go. You just, you, there's something in you that needs to hold your baby. But the baby is tired of being held. The baby wants to go explore, wants to crawl and get into something new. And as a parent, one of the good things you can do is allow your child to say, okay, I've had enough mom time. Now please let me go explore where I can go explore something fun and safe, Right? And so that's part of the lessons, too. Even in that, when we hold that child close and say, just stay here with mommy because I need to hold you, um, subconsciously we're teaching our children not to set their own boundaries or that their boundaries don't matter. Their desire to be independent doesn't matter. Their desire to make their own case for rules that they follow. You know, they have no voice. And so that's part of the process, too. So... Today, I hope this will help us understand how God works for boundaries in our lives and uh, to kind of help, help you maybe hear this one more way. I'm going to share a, a story from George MacDonald. George MacDonald wrote a book. He wrote tons of books, but this one's called The Minister's Restoration. And in it, there's a couple. Their name is James and Izzy. And uh, they've just been through the Lord's discipline severely. Like they messed up and messed up bad. 
And so, you know, like the, the proverb scripture goes, you would think that they would despise the Lord and his discipline. You would think that they would be upset in all the hard times and, and troubled times they've gone through. But listen to their story as how they see what God has done. See the loving power at the heart of things, Izzy, said James to his wife. Out of evil, God has brought good, the best good, and nothing but the good. A good ripened through my sin and selfishness and ambition, bringing upon you as well as me disgrace and suffering. The evil in me had to come out and show itself before it could be cleared away. From some people, nothing but an earthquake will rouse them from dead sleep. I was one as such. God in his mercy brought on the earthquake to wake me and save me from death. Ignorant people go about always asking why God permits evil. We know why. So that we might come to know, really know, what good is like, and therefore what God himself is like. It may be that he could, with a word, eliminate evil altogether and cause it to cease. But what would that teach us about good? The word might make us good like oxen or harmless sheep, but would that be a worthy image of him who is made in the image of God? You see, God chooses to be good, Otherwise, he would not be God. So, men and women, we must choose to be good. Otherwise, we cannot be sons and daughters of God. God is good, isn't he, James? And so good to us. Just think where we each might be if he hadn't shown us ourselves, even in our sin, we might never have known his goodness had it not been for the evil in us. Oh, but that was such a hard time to think that he was with us every step. That is how grand the love of the Father of men is, is he? That he gives them a share, that share as necessary as his own in the making of themselves. Thus and only thus, by willing, by choosing the good, can they become partakers of the divine nature. All the discipline, all the pain of the world exists for the sake of this, that we may come to choose the good. God is teaching us how to know good and evil in some real degree as they are, not as they seem to be to the incomplete, so that we shall learn to choose the good and refuse the evil. He would make his children see two things, good and evil, in some measure as they are, and then say whether they will be good children or not. If they fail and choose the evil, then he will take yet a harder measures with them, salting them with continually deeper pains, the cleansing of the refiner's fire. I don't know about you, that tends to make me say, wow. Wow. God is so good, his love is so great that he allows us to go through suffering and discipline in this world to shape our heart and character so that we hate the evil in us 
so that we repent of it, so that we begin to take baby steps sometimes in how to choose the good. And that's all God hopes for, is that we will take each little baby step to choose the good. And it's not easy, is it? It's not easy to overcome a bad temper. It's not easy to overcome temptations and trials and challenges. It's not easy going through seasons of broken health and and other things. But God is a professional at bringing good out of bad. And as parents, we're to raise our kids in a similar kind of way, with loving discipline that instructs, corrects, gives consequences, so that hopefully our children learn how to choose the good from an early age, rather than have to be taught it when they're trapped in their own mess as adults. But uh, the Lord is with us. And so I hope today you can reflect on how God has shaped your life through discipline and how you've done some good things and maybe some not good things in shaping the lives of our children. Because the Lord loves those he disciplines. He loves them a bunch. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we seek you today. We thank you. I affirm you are good. Even in the hard and suffering we face, Lord, if we look for it, we can see that you're with us. We can see that you want to shape our hearts in good ways. So Lord, bring us to the place where we hate the bad and the evil as much as you do. Bring us to a place where even baby steps, we try to choose the good in following you. And Father, I pray for our parents here today who are raising kids. I pray for those who may not yet be there but are dreaming of it. We pray for those of us who are grandparents and we love spoiling our grandkids rotten, but give us the love to when we need to, uh, to help guide their lives with discipline too. So Lord, uh, bless this community. Shape us to love you and follow you and to love one another in Jesus' name.